Hey lifers, this is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today's episode 18. Oh, wait, before we begin, I want to say two things. Two quick items here. One quick item is, quick and important item, is um, happy birthday to Rebecca, who is a frequent listener of this podcast, and her birthday was April 7th. And, um, I meant to say something last week about that and I just forgot. So anyway, she mentioned in an email that it was her birthday and I just wanted to give a little shout out. Happy birthday, Rebecca. So glad you're alive. Thank you so much for listening. Um, a second order of business. Oh, this is unanticipated. I have the window open. You're going to hear motorcycles. I live near a busy street. You're going to hear motorcycles and buses and things go by. I apologize. Um, that's an unexpected item. Um, the second expected quick item that I wanted to share is that in episode 15, I meant to circle back to this and I forgot, um, in episode 15, which was called 15 seconds, I quoted, um, I, I, I offered a quote that I attributed to Jesus. It was something like, um, with great power comes great responsibility yeah, definitely Spider-Man. It was definitely a Spider-Man quote. <laughs> so, oops, I for, I I did that. I literally attributed a Spider-Man quote to Jesus. So if you went flipping through your Bibles, <laughs> looking for this fabulous, fabulous sentence, I mean, it's, it's a very Jesus-like thing to say. So you can find truth anywhere, people. Spider-Man. Honest mistake. Sorry about that. And thanks to Ashley who pointed that out and um, some very hilarious goings on happened about that. Got made fun of a bunch and I pre- I appreciate it. No problem. It's fine. It's cool. Okay. That's all. That's all I want to say about that. Okay. So back to episode 18. So today's episode, uh, what did I call this? Uh, the mischief of the shadow self. Episode 18, The Mischief of the Shadow Self. So this is a very natural outpouring of episode 7, which happened last, I'm sorry, episode 17. So I want to give a quick recap. Um, I had my friend Ryan Thomas Niece on the show, and we did a Visiting Voice episode, and we did it on the topic of process. And how we defined process was um, how we are aware of and choose to, um, share with another person or even just reflect on ourselves, uh, with ourselves about what we're noticing comes up in us in a given situation. So if you're in a conversation and you're noticing things and you're mindfully aware of what's happening to you or inside of you, or kind of like what's going on with you, that is process. So we kind of discuss this whole topic of like self-acquaintance, right? And I think it's really beneficial in a lot of ways. And I got some unbelievably awesome emails this week. It was one of my favorite weeks. Um, Apparently it was one of your favorite episodes. A lot of people just wrote saying how meaningful it was to them, how deeply impactful it was. I am so glad. Um, I'm so grateful that it was, it touched so many of you in that way. But it brought up this general, general, uh, you know, thought that being seen 
and known is a very powerful experience. We talk about that a lot on this podcast, but that episode really drove that point home of like being seen as a really powerful experience, being known. So I want to spin off of that truth today by saying this. I want to talk about how you being seen and known really kind of starts and ends with you. Here's what I mean. Uh, I'll tell you what I mean. Actually, let me start coming through the back door because this episode is entitled The Mischief of the Shadow Self. I want to talk about the shadow self first. So the shadow self is the part of us where we contain these aspects of ourselves that we deny because we believe that these parts will be rejected by other people. So it's not even necessarily what we reject about ourselves, but it's what, you know, as we manifest these aspects of ourselves, you know, we either see other people being rejected for these qualities, or we ourselves have been rejected for these qualities, or we fear that we will be rejected for these qualities. So we put them, we sort of put them in this box or we put them in this in our section of ourselves that we call the shadow self. So here's something to know that's important, that's going to matter for the rest of this episode. The shadow self, the things that live in that place, they are not dormant. They are not sleeping. They are fully operative. So that is to say, it's always at work. The stuff that's in that area of ourselves is always at work, but it works in secret. And it isn't held to account in the way other parts of ourselves are. So it isn't brought into the light. So we'll come back to why that matters later in, a, in just a few minutes. But why do we do this? Have you ever thought about this? Like, is this a new concept for you? I don't know if it is. A lot of people don't think about this very often. But why do we do this? I think that, uh, you know, coming again, coming back to episode 17, what we talked about, I really believe that a few of our most fundamental desires in life as human beings is, first of all, to belong, and second of all, to be loved just as we are. And um, those are great desires, right? But how many of us live with very powerful and real memories of, you know, in some shape or form, feeling shame about certain parts of ourselves. Um, whether it's implicit, like you get a m mixed message or sort of a subtle message that these parts of you are not okay, or you've had explicit messages directed at you, like your, your crying means that you are weak or whatever that looks like, whatever that means for you. So there are these parts of ourselves that we just we've had these experiences and so we we put them in we put them in the shadow we hide them so the experiences of both deep shame which is so remember that shame is not like i did something bad but i am bad guilt is i did something bad shame is i am bad like at my core something is rotten and wrong so that's what shame is so the experiences of both deep shame and the experience of belonging, they actually have something in common. They both give a lot of power 
to the people around us. Okay. So I've recently been considering, there is this verse in the Bible. I will, I really like, I really uh, appreciate the Bible quite a bit in case that hasn't come across clearly. Um, there's this really weird and interesting, slightly controversial verse in the Bible that says, uh, it's, it's in the book of Luke and it's in chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That is like a very confusing verse. I'm not sure how you find that, but I find it very strange. But I think we're going to talk about that today a little bit because I think I have some clarity about it. But here's another verse that I've also been really considering and meditating on and pondering uh, regarding how, you know, all of this leads us, how we all find deeper wholeness and life. This is from Matthew, the book of Matthew, and it's chapter 16. Verses 25 and 26. Anyone who wants to save his life must lose it. Anyone who loses her life will find it. What gain is there if you win the whole world and lose your very self? What can you offer in exchange for your one precious life? So, (laughs) what gain is there if you win the whole world? the approval of all of those around you, and yet you lose your very self? This is the question for today. So I've been considering this quite a bit. Okay, I have two scenarios that I believe, one of which will meet you where you're at. So hear me out for a second. Okay, here's the first scenario. Um, you're with a person, you're in a relationship with a person and you really care about them so much and um, you have a capacity to go pretty deep in friendship and you have a capacity to find um, a lot of intensity maybe in relationship. Perhaps this is you. Um, Then out of, you know, the blue, so it seems, this other person sets some boundaries for the relationship. So maybe the person says something like, I can't do this for you. You feel rejected. This this is scenario A. You This person sets a boundary saying something like, I can't do this for you. Um, and you feel rejected. You can't accept this fact that someone else isn't able to offer you something that they, that you expect. Right. And what you really want is this like depth and this endless love and acceptance and care and giving from the other person. And they say, I cannot do this for you. Does that hit home? Maybe that's you. Okay. That's by the way, this is not meant to shame you. I promise this has a purpose and it will be healing. I hope. Here's scenario B. You're a different person. (laughs) This is a totally different scenario. Um, You are in a relationship with a person. This always involves relationships. Um, This is kind of how we encounter ourselves the most probably. Um, So 
you're in a relationship and something happens. Maybe this person really looks up to you that you're in relationship with. Maybe you are like a teacher or a mentor or the kind of person that like people just look up to naturally. It's just people come to you. They seek you out uh, for advice, for wisdom, whatever. And um, something happens between you and that person again, sort of out of the blue, so it seems, feels disappointed in you. Maybe they are a little bit disillusioned. Maybe something happens and you become a little more human to them. And this disappointment that this other person feels, it's kind of like you fell off your pedestal, basically. Pedestal, like that's what this sort of scenario brings. And this disappointment leads that person to sort of backing off not pursuing you as often for your wisdom or your insight as often or in the same way or whatever that looks like. That's scenario B. Perhaps that's you. One of these, I I can almost guarantee through much research and paying attention to human beings, I can almost guarantee that one of these is going to meet you where you're at. If not, email me your scenario and we can talk about that. I'm so interested in other possibilities. Anyway, those are the two I thought of. So regardless with regardless of which resonates the most with you, shame this you know this sense of like I am bad is at play in both of these and it will tempt you to force those parts of you into the shadow that you feel are being rejected. So into this place you're going to take these things that you feel are being rejected and you're going to put them in this place, this hidden place where you refuse to let others see them again and you refuse to let yourself see them. This is the mischief of the shadow self. Okay, so. So what, you may ask. So um, it's interesting because you know, some people might actually be hearing this and saying, well, you know what, I got to be honest with you, I find life to be so much easier. If I hide parts of myself, I can kind of cruise, or I know exactly what I'm doing. If I'm, you know, we talked about this. um, Oh, gosh, I can't keep these episodes straight. But we talked about this with like the Johari window situation. Um, I'm really getting a lot of juice out of this Johari window, by the way, in case you can't tell. I just find it like very uh, all-encompassing and very helpful to describe a lot of this stuff. But um, I don't remember what episode that was. So go back, listen again. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to some previous episodes. Can't remember which one. But maybe you're that person. You're like, oh yeah, I'm, I, I know I'm putting on this facade because I know it's easy and I'm familiar with it and I'm good at it and I'm actually happy. I don't need people to see these things and I'm just going to shove them down. Maybe that's you. But I would argue, as usual, that the things that we typically find as easy are usually far more costly overall in the long run. So I really believe that anything that lives in the dark, anything that lives in the shadow grows to be very mischievous and I dare say dangerous. So that's why shame is so powerful. It loves to keep things in the dark. It loves 
to keep people in hiding. It likes the light to go away. So here are, I want to talk about three specific dangers of the shadow self, in my opinion. Um, there's three specific things I want to talk about. I'm sure there's a ton more and there's like a million ways we could go with this, but I'm just for the conciseness of this episode, I'd really like to cover these three. Ready? Whirlwind tour. Ready? Here we go. Number one, projection. Now, projection is a word that we throw around a lot in the therapy world. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but imagine a projector, like a movie projector. So it takes something that's inside the camera and it projects it onto a large screen, right? So we do this all the time. People do this all the time. What in this, the way I want to talk about this with the shadow self and the mischief and the dangers of the shadow self is this we can project onto others what we do not accept about ourselves. The things that we force into the shadow, we often project onto others, and then we try to destroy it there. Does that make you feel a little bit of like electricity in your spine? I have done this, and I am, ooh, it just, it's super convicting to even say those words out loud. But what that's, we do it, right? Okay, that's number one. The second one is we compensate. So this is another word that gets thrown around a lot. Like, oh, he's just overcompensating for his insecurity and blah, blah, blah. Well, we often enter into uh, compensatory relationships. Relationships in which we compensate. Um we enter into these compensatory relationships with other people when there are a lot of disowned parts in our shadow self. And we enter into these relationships where we are always subconsciously asking for the other person to own these parts of ourselves that we ourselves refuse to own. Right? So these things that we cram into the shadow, we're basically like subconsciously between the lines in all the ways that we act toward this person, the way that we do relationship with this person, the way we enact our, you know, like our facades, whatever that is, we're constantly asking this other person to compensate for the shadow self and own these parts of us that we refuse to own ourselves. But let me tell you the most dangerous thing about compensatory relationships. They are the easiest place to hide our true selves. So this is a situation based, here's a spoiler alert. These are going to get worse and worse. These dangers, they're like increasingly more dangerous as I go on. This is the second one. So it's a little more dangerous than projection, I think, because I think with compensation, I think we are, our shadow selves grow to be more icky more dark, more hidden. And I am a firm believer that whatever is in the dark grows in the dark and not in pleasant ways. So that's compensation. Number two, I'm taking a drink. Oh, there's a little nice rain going on outside. That's pretty. Okay. Number three, fragmentation. So shadow self is often self-perpetuating. Like I said, this is the 
third one, and it's the most dangerous in my opinion. It's sh the stuff in the shadow is self-perpetuating. The more we hide, the more we feel we need to hide. The more we hide, the more we feel we need to hide. Therefore, the more we hide. So this is a classic, like, I am such a Lord of the Rings nerd. Here it comes. Um, if you've ever read or seen these stories uh, by Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, Smeagol is this guy who he's like, he's a hobbit and he finds this ring and it's very powerful ring. It's full of magic and it's, it, it's a very strong metaphor of, of like the world. You should really read these books or see these movies. They're very powerful for the world, like very good metaphors, but he becomes, he literally, he starts hiding because he's so obsessed with this power that this ring brings that he becomes this whole other creature called Gollum. And Gollum is born in the shadows, literally. So Smeagol becomes Gollum, this other version of himself in the shadows. And it's all through this obsession with power and obsession with hiding and secluding and things like that. So you know what I'm talking about if you've seen these or read these, read these before. But here's the thing about fragmentation. There comes a point where our cutting off of ourselves uh, or like our cutting off of awareness of so very many parts of ourselves uh, becomes, it's almost like we become different personas. Like we take on different personas. So when we're with this crowd, we're this person. When we're with that crowd, we're that person. And soon we have these different personas, so many different personas, we don't even remember who we actually are. And this is not even covering stuff like dissociation or, you know, having sort of these different identities happening. Like I'm, you know, we take on these different identities given the level of traumas that we've been through, various things like that. But this is like, this is fragmentation at its core. And when this occurs, when this fragmentation occurs, where there's so many parts of us that are disconnected, that we become like different people almost, like we take on these different personas. When this occurs, we not only lose touch with ourselves, but inevitably it requires that we lose touch with how we are impacting others because we don't have the strength to really own up to how we're impacting others because you know what's most dangerous about all this is that like we lose this ability to exchange love with people we are created to participate in the exchange of love. And when I say the exchange of love, like I think when the word love, this is a sidebar, sidebar. When we hear the word love, we often think about feelings or romance or euphoria. This is a poor definition of love. My definition of love for this episode and forevermore <laughs> until I say so otherwise is that it's this exchange, this participation with the other so it's, it's not even like a give and a take. It's an exchange. That's all I can say. It's like a loop or something between you and another person. So the more we lose touch with ourselves, the more fragmented we become, the more we lose touch with how we're impacting others, the less we can 
participate in this exchange, this loop that we call love, that we are created to participate in. So like, that's just a key phrase for you to know. Like if you are created to participate in something and you aren't able to participate in it, that's trouble. Trouble indeed. That is like darkness's work, right? Um, so there's this old cliche, like you can't learn to love others until you learn to love yourself. I always thought that was a terrible, terrible, cheesy, horrible phrase. I kind of still do, but anyway, but here's what I really think that that is saying. I think with this person, whoever said this actually had something good to say. Maybe I would change it to this. If you can't accept let alone bear to see the various complex parts of yourself, how will you ever see and accept the various complex parts of others? So let me give you a little uh, therapist. If you're a therapist or if you're a helper, if you're like any kind of helping professional and you're listening to this podcast, there's a very dangerous thing called silencing which is if you find, this is like the number one cause of burnout in helping professionals. Um, I took this compassion fatigue certification training last year. This is one of the things they talked about was um, one of the most dangerous things for therapists is silencing clients. So whatever it is that you have not worked through in yourself or you've not owned in yourself in your own life, you will silence in your clients or you will silence in other people if you're not a helping professional or if you're kind of a more creative helping professional, like on whatever that looks like for you. Um, this is dangerous. It's super dangerous. So just keep that in mind that, you know, this saying of like, you can't learn to love others until you learn to love yourself. It's like you gotta, you, there's a danger, there's a mischief in the shadow self, because whatever you're hiding from yourself, you're also going to force others around you to hide from you. You just can't like, you can't tolerate it. You can't tolerate its presence. And the more it lives in the shadow, the less you can tolerate its presence. Okay. Back to the, back to the outline. All these dangers that I listed just now, these three dangers, um, which are projection, compensation, fragmentation. All these dangers that I've lifted, that I just listed, have something in common, very specific. And that is that we let other people tell us if we're okay or not. We're so influenced by other people. We give a lot of power to others. So I have a confession for you guys. I do this. Two things that are true of my personality is this. Vulnerability time. Um, One, I love brilliant, wise, grounded teachers. That's just like my personality. I love gurus. I love looking up to people. I like, I'm very, I'm very Mary Magdalene in this way. Like this is why I relate with her so much. Like when Jesus walks in the room, Mary Magdalene is like on the floor at his feet listening, like ready to, ready to absorb like a sponge. That is me. That's my personality. Um, with that comes as a, you know, counterproduct. I am a very good disciple. I'm a very good student. I'm very good at sitting at the feet of other people who I find brilliant, wise 
and grounded and all that. So this puts me at a specific disadvantage. Um, I, whoever I consider to be a good teacher, I give them a lot of power. Yep. I just confessed that out loud on public podcasting because vulnerability is real and I want to model it, right? (laughs) I feel like a little vulnerability hangover right now. I'll be okay. Okay. So I want to tell you a very quick story about, because I want to make this real in a very specific relationship that I had with a teacher of mine. Um, it's been, I've, I knew this person for several years and I spent the first several years doing this like compensatory thing where, um, I found this person to be totally brilliant, totally wise, so insightful, gave me amazing feedback, had so much wisdom to share. And that is so true. No matter what this, no matter where this story is going, this is, this is definitely true of this person. And I, but I found that I like, I really wanted acceptance from this person. I started giving this, this person a lot of power to basically, you know, say whether I was okay or not, you know, where I stood. And I, I found myself adjusting myself so I could find more acceptance because I'm a really good reader of people. And I was like, Hmm, this person seems to want me to do this. So I'm going to do that. So I get accepted. Yeah. Sweet. Um, I started to not know myself and it was weird. Like this is the weird part of adjusting yourself and the, and the mischief of the shadow self is that you start to not know yourself and you also start to become someone very different. Like I said, so I started becoming someone kind of different, not, it wasn't extreme. This isn't like an extreme example, but it was, it was important enough that I wanted to share the story. So at the end of the day, in this relationship, after several years of knowing this person, I really allowed myself to believe that what this person thought of me was the truth about me. And this led me into a place where I really, I, I actually, not only did I give this person's opinion so much value, I sort of started feeling like I needed this person because I needed this person to tell me who I was. Um, about two and a half years ago or so, three maybe, um, the poop hit the fan for me. I started to really have difficult arguments with this person. I started feeling conflict, not just with that person, but like inside of myself when I was around that person. And the more that I projected this need and like this need for this acceptance, the more unhealthy I became. And then the more unhealthy our exchanges became. You hear what I'm saying? You hear like how I'm connecting all this. Like there's a thing going on in me. There's a thing going on between us, the space between us. So I hit a point where I really, I could not do this anymore. Um, my therapist at the time pointed out that I seemed to be really seeking, like she pointed out this pattern, this habitual pattern in me with this specific person and said, you know, I feel like you're hiding in your shadow. And there were parts of me that I was not accepting. And it was like when she said this, it was like, I've heard this a million times. How have I never actually heard, heard this? It was a very powerful and poignant moment for me. So 
all that happened, for all of my flaws, one of my greatest strengths is that when the lights actually come on for me in a given area, I do not waste time. If I see something, I get fierce about it. I get fierce about pursuing it. I get fierce about growth. So that's what happened. The lights came on. I got fierce about this. So here's what I did. I read a ton of books. Um, Some of these books, a couple of you actually have asked me to give you a book list, which I'm going to do. I'm actually going to publish on my blog, the blog section of this, um, a really good reading list for all of you to check out. But here are some of the books that I read. One was Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. Um, Classic, like really old, really brilliant book. The other one that I read was called Our Many Selves by a woman named Elizabeth O'Connor. This book is out of print, but you can still find it on Amazon for like 25 cents or something. You pay more for shipping than you pay for the book. It is totally worth it. Find this book, Our Many Selves by Elizabeth O'Connor. Another book I read was Immortal Diamond by Richard Rohr. Um, I read The Wounded Healer by Henry Nouwen. Um, Yeah, I read read so many books. Intimacy by Henry Nouwen. Anyway, I read, I'm, I'm an avid reader, so I read, I literally, guys, I read probably 45 books um, when I got serious about this stuff. And I've been reading ever since those kinds of books. Anyway, that's how this podcast kind of started. So I got really serious about getting acquainted with the parts of myself that I had banished to the shadow. And I really like what I took on was I invited these parts of myself. It was like I was inviting them over for tea. And in the same way I would invite a friend over um, and listen to their, listen to them talk and value them. I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to invite these parts of myself over for tea and I'm just going to listen to them. And I know that sounds a little crazy, but I promise you it was awesome. Um, what I realized over this time was that these parts of me were equally messy and complex and fascinatingly layered and beautiful. So an unanticipated result, I suddenly, almost in the background of all of this, this is like a year and a half long process that I went through probably, in the background of all of this, totally unbeknownst to me, I stopped operating out of this felt need with this mentor of mine, this teacher of mine, that I had put so much pressure on to love and accept me. And it was almost like one day I woke up, even though it was like one of those things where day to day, you're not really paying much attention. Then suddenly you look back and you're like, whoa, everything's different suddenly. Um, I really like had this moment where I, it was like a switch in me flipped and I flipped to this like sweet enjoyment of this person. So I went from, um, you know, feeling like this person needed to define me so that I'd be okay and be accepted to this like good, lovely exchange, um, that was authentic. And I actually, this began this 
time where I could actually be authentic with this person and this person can be authentic back with me. So now I kind of get that cliche. I really couldn't love those from whom I was so frantically seeking acceptance. I really needed to find acceptance for those sneaky parts of me that the parts of me that I was putting in the shadow and then I could enter into love's exchange. So let's go back to those two scenarios from before. Someone who sets boundaries, right? This is the scenario, first scenario. Um, so you're feeling super insecure. You're feeling rejected. Yeah, like it's it's painful. Um, and we feel like we're not participating well in any exchange when we feel rejected. How can we when we feel rejected? We, we're, we react out of shame. So um, instead, we're going to participate out of, you know, maybe what this other person might need. So the sentence, I can't do this for you, it, one interpretation is rejection. But really, you know, that whole like, it's not me, it's you, or it's not you, it's me. <laughs> That's like a thing. That's real. It's like, you can tell, I mean, I understand this is easier said than done. You can definitely tell yourself, yeah, I, you know, I understand that this is about this person's stuff, but it's very hard to feel that way. But take my word for it that when you enter into like trusting that this is about this other person's needs, um, you can be present for them and actually participate and really, really love them in a very powerful way. I say this from experience. And again, it's just because the lights came on. Trust me that it is more powerful. Um, it's a more powerful exchange of love to honor a person's boundary. Because honoring a person's boundary, you're really honoring your friend. And I'm challenging myself when I'm saying this, by the way. The more of you, more of you comes into wholeness when you do this. And even though it hurts like hell, I promise you it is worth it. And it is very powerful. You're entering into love. You're entering into it, a certain kind of exchange. Let me read this Henry Nouwen quote since I was talking about Henry Nouwen. Um, this is from The Inner Voice of Love by Henry Nouwen. Thanks, Ryan Thomas Neese, for sending this to me. Um, okay, so he's talking about this boundary situation. Um, part of your struggle is to set boundaries to your own love, something you have never done. You give whatever people ask of you. And when they ask for more, you give more until you find yourself exhausted, used, and manipulated. Only when you are able to set your own boundaries will you be able to acknowledge, respect, and even be grateful for the boundaries of others. In the presence of people you love, your needs grow and grow until those people are so overwhelmed by your needs that they, that they are practically forced to leave you for their own survival. Ouch. I get it. Keep listening. The great task is to claim yourself for yourself so that you can contain your needs within the boundaries of yourself and hold them in the presence of those you love. True mutuality in love requires people who possess themselves 
and who can give to each other while holding on to their own identities. So in other in order both to give more effectively and to be more self-contained with your needs, you must learn to set boundaries with your love. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, rewind 30 seconds and re- listen to that again. But it's powerful stuff. Henry Nouwen, the inner voice of love. Great stuff. Okay, let's move on to scenario B. The second scenario. You have been on the pedestal. You have fallen off the pedestal. And the other person is not pursuing you in the same kind of way. And it feels crappy. First of all, the first thing you need to consider, this person that you're in a relationship with might actually be a person from scenario A. There's a hundred factors that we're also we're always not aware of, right? Just keep that in mind. That's like a little side thing. Here's the other thing. You may be hiding parts of yourself in your shadow about not being perfect like you want to be. You want to be that awesome teacher, that awesome leader, that awesome mentor, supervisor, advisor, whatever. But you, there's some aspect of you, like this tweaks something in you. It's like, oh, this person doesn't think I'm that person. Because they see you fall off your pedestal, you've kept it together for so long, and they now see the truth about you. Oh my gosh, this person is human. And that hurts. It's painful. And it feels scarce. Like you go into a a space of scarcity because you don't feel like you're enough. But here's what I want to tell you. I hope you're listening. Tune in. Tune your ears to this, my friends. You are already enough. Shadow parts and all. Your messy parts, your imperfect parts, the parts of you that screw up, the parts of you that disappoint, they are all enough. You are already accepted and you are already chosen. Even if a student or a mentee or a supervisee, or a friend, whatever, does not seek you out. You are already chosen. You are already accepted. Your insight already matters. Because you were made so very good. Let me read to you a, a little quick ex- excerpt from Our Many Selves by Elizabeth O'Connor. Um, This is on page 22 and 23. The resisting, fearful selves need to be raised into consciousness for them to know the power of resurrection. But they shrink from this, and somehow it seems understandable. If I say, I am jealous, and I feel as though it describes the whole of me, I am overwhelmed with its implications. The completeness of the statement makes me feel contemptuous of myself. It is little wonder that I fear letting another know when my identity with the feeling is such that it describes the totality of who I am. But suppose that each of us understood the multiplicity of his own life. If I respect the plurality in myself and no longer see my jealous self as the whole of me, then I have gained a distance that I need to observe it, to listen to it, 
to let it acquaint me with a piece of my own lost history. In this way, I come into possession of more of myself and extend my own inner kingdom. Suppose we come to know that every recognition of anger and jealousy and greed and sloth is an opportunity to lift out of the waters of unconsciousness a tiny piece of submerged land. Then would we not pity the man who is so identified with the good that he denies any intimations from below that this good may not be the whole of him? Such a man is lost. Unaware that he is cut off from a large part of himself, he does not understand what it means to be on the journey of becoming whole. Ugh, this, you, like, no matter who you are, you are so worth knowing. Why the heck would you be created if you were not worth knowing? This is my question for all human beings. So, okay, I got to get to the conclusion because I see what time it is. And this is the longest podcast I've ever done by myself. Thank you for hanging in there with me. I promise I'm getting to the end here. Here's the invitation, people. There's, this is a two-part invitation. Number one, we all have a journey to wholeness that is all our own. And it starts with some deeper self-acquaintance. It starts with pulling some land up out of the water and looking for treasure. Look inside, even into the shadows. These parts that you feel completely not okay to show, they have goodness. Are they messy? Yep. Are they creative? Yep. Are they good? Yes, absolutely. Invite these parts of you to come out of hiding. Don't banish them. Don't run. Listen to them. Just invite them in. Listen to them. Treat them as an honored guest. Show them that they are worth seeing and knowing. You will not be sorry. It's going to be scary, but you won't be sorry. Here's the second part of the invitation. And this is most related to Easter. Uh, we just celebrated Easter yesterday. Um, walk through the portal that was opened by the love of Jesus. Jesus, I'm not sure how familiar and acquainted you are with him. Um, the risk is that a lot of people may have warped him for you. And for that, I am genuinely grieved. So re-get to know him because he's the embodiment and the unavoidable portal of love. He opened this portal and it cannot be closed. Um, Easter, there's this, there's this amazing, um, I don't know, a lot of churches do this as part of the Easter liturgy. It's this, it's this sentence that says, love is always stronger than death and unto this love you have now returned. Like, that's what that means. That's what resurrection means. That's the message of resurrection, of new life, of all things being made whole, being made new. It's that we take part in this exchange of, you know, love, capital L, love. Um, not just with the parts of you, but the parts of others. And 
every time we walk through this portal, every time we engage with this exchange of life and love, we are literally taking part in a kingdom of aliveness instead of death. Oh, it's like, what well, this is what we're made for. So I know that that sounds a lot like a lot to ask, but the portal is already open. So choose to step in and step in to love's exchange with yourself and with others. That's the invitation. I wonder what that will look like for you. Okay. I'm going to give you a blessing now. This is, I've been reading a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff in my, on my shelf that I really want to share with you. So this is called, this is a poem. Not everyone's a poetry fan, but I guarantee this is going to speak something to you. Mary Oliver, one of the most famous poets in our, in our world, our modern world. Uh, This is called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Go on this journey, my friends. I'm with you, maybe not physically, but I support this, and I'm doing it too. And it excites me that you're on it. And it excites me that you're doing this. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being on this journey. Can't wait to see you again. Take great care. You said I love you like a rainbow. I know what that means. You know I love you just the same. Could never let go of you again You said I love you like the rain And the sound when it hits the roof I don't know what I would do If I couldn't be close to you again skin feels like it's thickening This cold-hearted world is sinking in We've seen enough to know how deep we're in But with you I feel But with you I feel free 
We've come through the darkest shades of blue To a new and brighter point of view Who knows where this rainbow takes us to As long as we're together Said you love me like no other I know what that means You know I love you just the same I could never let go of you again Said you love me like the color In the earth and in the sky When we spoke of what we'd been through And tears fell softly on you and I My skin feels like it's thickening This cold-hearted world is sinking in We've seen enough to know how deep we're in But with you I feel But with you I feel free We've come through the darkest shades of blue To a new and brighter point of view Who knows where this rainbow will take us to As long as we're together But with you I feel free Come through the darkest shades of blue To a new and brighter point of view Who knows where this rainbow will take us to As long as we're together Because with you I feel free Because with you I feel free Cause with you I feel free yeah. 